friends. Today I would like to talk about transforming oneself, transforming the world. And the other way around, of course. You transform the world, you transform yourself. First time I saw that topic, it was on Joseph's book. It was a small book. I said, I have to read this one. I need to transform myself. I need to transform the world. So I was so curious until I, I got the book. I don't know whether it's still published, but that's where I got the topic. So really the subtitle for this talk is The Noble Eightfold Path. Uh, and I would like to explore the Noble Eightfold Path uh, in a way that is practical. And I'll talk about other things. Mishmash, Dhamma. <laughs> that comes up in my mind. I hope you won't mind. <laughs> because I found out there's some points that I need to talk about for those who have checked out already. <laughs> Thinking about lifting up, lifting off. Hmm? I know Shelley was talking about lifting up, <laughs> lifting off. Don't keep, keep going. And uh, those who are still here, so all the three categories, I like to see that this talk fits. Hmm? But I don't know whether I'll finish my talk, <laughs> because there's a lot to cover for three kinds of people. But maybe I'll bring my experience uh, when I was attending a retreat in Burma for, for people who are lifting off. I, I remember I lifted off. I remember. How it came is it was like this. Um, when I was just ordained as a monk, I had been at IMS and everybody was talking about Saido Bandita, practicing Burma, practicing Burma. I said, when am I going to go to Burma? Okay, so I was, that was 2004. I was only ordained as a monk for two years. So Joseph and Kamara Masters sponsored my Abhidhamma course to join a crash course. I think Rebecca was there too. And also some people contributed for the air ticket uh, to go and practice in Burma when I was two years as a monk. When I reached Burma, the good news I had practiced already with Saido. Yes, I, I had already practiced with Saido Pandita here at Forest Refuge and California. I traveled with him. So I knew him very well. But as soon as I arrived at, at the monastery, I met him as usual, pay respect to him. And uh, the first question he asked me, have you studied Abhidhamma? I said, of course, yes. I was in your monastery in the Tagata Meditation Center. He said, no, you have to do it now. So he was really arranging for me to go through <laughs> Vinaya, which is a monastic discipline, right there from the airport. And I was so exhausted, I was flying from India. He said, no, now, now. I said, I've already done it, the monastery. No, it's not enough, now. So that's, uh, then, then the, the person said, no, I don't have time. Let me take you to... Uh, Pandita Rama, then uh, they took me there. But in the morning, he came breakfast. Did you study? <laughs> I said, no, we, we had to travel from Yangon to Bago. That's where the monastery was. 
Okay, he checked on me, and then uh, once the retreat started, uh, there was something that I didn't sign for. They told me that we all have to, monks, we have to study Abhidhamma, um, sorry, uh, Vinaya, for it takes almost one hour in the evening. For me, I wanted to get in Latin, actually. That's why I went to Burma. <laughs> but I didn't sign up for the course, the entire course of Vinaya. Something that came on, again, that was, as if that was not enough, they told us all monks have to go for Pindapat, which takes almost two hours of the retreat. In the morning, we have to wake up and uh, get on all monks in the car, not air conditioned, a lot of dust, and it's just a little bumpy road, you know. And then we reach somewhere, they put us there, we get full. Because that's a monastic thing, of course, there's no problem. But the thing that it was a long trip to go and get food, and then we re- that was traveling on a smooth road, but we had to branch off a, a, a maram road. Here you call them tam- dirt roads. So it was stony, full of stones. Somebody who has used to walk, who has been used to uh, wear shoes, you have to go barefooted when you go for pinnabat. Then I would see all these American monks walking on the stones like this. I had a lot of aversion, I'm telling you. Every time I would step on the stones, they would pierce me as if they're just ripping apart my shoes, I mean my, my feet. It took us almost one hour. So going in 30 minutes, coming back 30 minutes, the trip to Vinapa to collect food is almost also one hour. I'm telling you, two hours off the schedule. One hour in the evening, two hours in the morning. Three hours off the schedule. Lay people don't do that, by the way. <laughs> it's monks who do it. I practice meditation. And there was something that also which was a little difficult for me is wake up time is 3 a.m. In case that's not make, uh, I don't know about your wake up time here, but you better try it over there. Rebecca knows that. 3 a.m. I'm a monk, by the way. <laughs> so I've been in the monastery waking up at 4.30 in the morning every day for two years. But this time, 3 that was something to adjust with. Then there comes lunchtime. They eat very fast. You remember? It's amazing how in a monastery they eat so fast and I'm a slow eater. I want to eat with mindfulness. Hmm? With mindfulness. I, I, there was an American monk in the evening we say, you know, we are going to, we, we, we are done. <laughs> we are done for the day. <laughs> Let's lift off. <laughs> We just wait until the end of the retreat. Actually, the other monk told me, I'm not going to practice anymore. I'm just going to wait until the retreat ends. (laughs) (laughs) Is it familiar to you? (laughs) Hang in there. And I wanted to complain to the monk that I came away from the United States, I came here to meditate with such a wonderful teacher, and I want the teacher to teach about the four foundations of mindfulness. They side opened it, I chose a topic about four wheels of success. And I'm telling every time I was going into the details, every time I was saying, when is he going to finish this talk? When is he going to finish this talk? Every time my mind was at the time, when is he going to finish this talk? Is it after three days so that he can give deep, deep dharma? You know? So I was fixated on what I want the teacher to teach. You see how we suffer? <laughs> I was fixated on getting enlightenment. I was fixated. I knew that monks go for arms round, but that's not what I signed for. Not on that retreat for two months. I'm telling you. <laughs> I listened to my friend. We were together. The monk, he said, I'm done. So I said, no way. For me, I'm so much indebted to people who paid for me to go to Burma. I mean, Joseph, Kamara, Master, have to pay for my, my course on Abidama, and then tickets, people. I said, no. 
I'm not going to waste time. If I give up, no, it's not good. So now what I decided, once the monk just lifted off, I said, I'm going to stick in. So I decided to make a new strategy for my practice. The first thing I thought, what, this is what I said to me, I'm just going to make one step, and that's going to be my practice. So I would go for this pinda part, I would just reach the stones. In fact, people avoided them. Me, I was just going for them. I would say, wow, this is a wonderful massage in the morning. Every time I would walk on these stones, wow, stepping, placing. So I made that my meditation. So actually, what amazing, for me, I was now getting a renewed practice, whereby whenever I was just on those dust road, I was just noting, hearing, hearing, seeing, 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 because you're with all these monks seated in one car, you know. So it was not a, a good ride, but I decided to make it a meditation practice. And uh, of course, when it came now to eating, I, I could not win that. <laughs> you eat at that speed, and then they're, they're gone. <laughs> uh, so, working time, I had to work on it. And uh, there's something that really shifted my practice was more of a gratitude practice. I know some of us uh, uh, have given a talk about gratitude, especially uh, Dara gave a beautiful talk on gratitude. For me, that practice actually shifted my practice. And I was just there with my arms bow, and there was this elderly person who came and put one spoon. In Obama, they just give a small spoon, just a tablespoon of rice, and you're going to get another, another one. I'm telling you, you go and get food almost 50 people, you know. Yeah, so one time, somebody put something in my arms bow. It touched so my, my heart. I had to borrow using twirls. <laughs> Borrowing <laughs> gratitude. I was so grateful. I was seized by a sense of gratitude that I felt floating, literally floating with the gratitude that I had for this person really to make an effort to come and give me the food. And uh, when I went back to see it, uh, to meditate, I was still enjoying this kind of gratitude. Yeah? I was so grateful. Actually, how it came, I asked my question, how can I pay this person who really came slowly walking, yeah? I think it was about 75, and giving the food? How can I make myself worthy of this person who has supported my practice by giving the food? I was sitting there, you know, as usual, you know, you see the lot of pain and all that. A penny had gone out of the window because all the time I was just floating on this great gratitude. This is a very, very powerful practice, gratitude. But that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you say, I can just... <laughs> but actually, this is the first teaching the Buddha gave. When he got in Latin, sat under the body tree. After he got in Latin, he stared at the body tree, which he sat under and got in Latin. He, he just one week just looking at it, being grateful. So I think for me, one way you can think about, the, uh, you can practice those who are planning to lift off, is really be grateful for this moment. Hmm? You are here. It's very rare. That's one way you, you can look at it. Now let me go to, to transformation. We have transformed, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I remember I was uh, in, uh, in, uh, doing my, uh, my high school. There was a mathematics teacher trained in Canada. He was in our school. Whenever he, tra- he began his lesson in mathematics, he said, you are going to fail to fail mathematics. You, every time he started his talk, you are going to fail to fail. So it just got stuck in my mind. Even people who are so afraid about mathematics, 
they just got a lot of confidence. So I can confidently say that you will fail to fail this retreat, even if you want. <laughs> this is a dedication for those who have checked out, thinking that they have to sign for another retreat. Okay, you could do that, but this is as important. And I'm going to give a benchmark for that. And that's going to be the number eight fall path as a benchmark for really find out whether really there's anything that has been going on during our time here. Mm-hmm. But before I do that, let's look at uh, in general. I want to approach this from general to specific. How have we been transforming silence and listening? So what we've been doing here actually is both silence and listening. I'm telling you, we spend most of our life just talking and talking. We don't know how much energy we waste in talking. So we have conserved a lot of energy. Mental energy, we're talking about conservation of energy. Really, talking dazzles a lot of energy. So, in fact, they they say that even if we are to come here and just eat and just sleep, don't hear all these dumber talks. You just show up here and keep quiet. There will be wonderful transformation. I'm telling you, after six weeks, <laughs> I'm telling you, and what we are doing, it's not easy, actually, because <laughs> not so many people are doing it. So we've been practicing silence, not silencing. We have been practicing what to call listening. Listening to what? Listening to ourselves. So what we've been doing is called insight seeing and listening, not sight seeing. Hmm? <laughs> you know, many people do sight seeing. <laughs> but he has been inside seeing and see our mind, how it bubbles with many words, you know, inside. So it's so transforming. I'm telling you, this is already transformation. So those who are really adamant, there's nothing going on in this retreat, that's alone. It's very transformative, very transformative. So it's silence and uh, listening. Silencing what? Not so much words, but really the real silence. Muni, the Pali words called Muni, silence. That's why the Buddha is called Mahamuni, great uh, uh, whatever. Sage, 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 great sage. So why is he called a great sage? Because these are the practices the Buddha didn't want people to practice. When he came, he didn't want people to keep quiet. That's already the practice was in India, people who just don't talk. So really, actually the silence is more of silencing mental defilements. Don't you feel you've silenced them? A little bit. An iota. Huh? I think you have to. You may not see it. I like uh, uh, Brian's uh, talk on water metaphor because actually before I was a scuba diving instructor and I used to go into this place and I saw rocks so smooth, you know. <laughs> so I like his metaphor about water wearing off the sharp rocks, you know. They are very, water is so smooth. But it, because of constantly going on a rough road, it wears off. So you have transformed, my friends. You've been, been wearing, chipping off defilements. That's what we call real silence. Though here we say total silence, noble silence is close what actually is closer to what I'm talking about. Silencing defilements. You've done it. Mark that. <laughs> Five precepts. You've observed more than five precepts. Hmm? Not killing, not stealing. You know this. Can we imagine if we were to tell the world hmm, after the retreat? Not now. We say, okay, we've been observing five precepts. All of you now, the entire world, observe one. And they accept there will be a wonderful transformation in a while. 
So you've transformed yourself here by actually transforming the world by keeping a minimum of five percent. Do you think the world will agree one precept only? Five precepts. So actually, yourself, by upholding this precept, there has been in, inner transformation that you cannot even really think of. Because the world is not doing it, and you're doing it. Hmm? You're doing it. The Buddha talked about the five Mahadana, great generosity, great giving, Mahadana. And all of them correspond to five precepts. That means you give fearlessness to the entire world. When you observe the five precepts, you give fearlessness to the entire world. My friends, I can build a monastery in entire Africa, but... I may not be able to protect the entire world. But the Buddha here is telling, telling us that when you observe five precepts, you give fearless to the all sentient beings in the world. Beings, don't, non, they don't need to fear you, eh, that you are going to kill them. They don't fear you and all this kind of thing. Well, that's transforming the world. <laughs> and if you, the whole world can observe five precepts, they can send all the money, uh, I mean, save all the money, you know, they spend on, 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 on all these kind of things, you know, that breaks the five precept. And I wish they send all that money to Uganda. <laughs> 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 and I, I build more monasteries. Honestly, I feel that we will save a lot of money if the entire world keep five precepts. And that money, we can use it for something good. Maybe every town we can build a meditation center, keep on replicating the same thing. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, we go to the third transformation. Oh, we've been eating a vegetarian meal. You know how many chickens have been served? <laughs> so many. Hmm? Hmm? And the vegetarian meal is so good for your health. And we're talking about not even... I'm talking about climate change and environment and all, so because I love this subject about climate change. Carbon footprint. You know, you have to commit, commute to work, but you've been here. So I think it's amazing. That's already a general transformation. Let's go to specific transformation. Transformation, it comes from uh, something that I want to share with you. It's in the Dhammapada. And I love this phrase. It goes like this drop by drop, a bucket will be filled with water. Likewise, a wise person will fill uh, oneself with wholesome states of mind. Drop by drop, the bucket will be filled with water. Any wise person will be filled with unwholesome states of mind. So I read this, and I said I have to write a book about it. <laughs> because every time I finish the retreat, uh, teaching a retreat in Burma and in, in Brazil, different countries where I teach, people say, Bante, I like this Dharma, but how can I practice it in their life? I say, no, don't worry. Drop by drop, you fill your mind with wholesome states of mind. This is written in the Dhammapada, and they're talking about a bucket. When I was in the monastery in West Virginia, I said, I'm going to experiment what the Buddha taught. I want to put it into practice, uh, to, to experiment. So I was staying in a kuti, it was snowing, and the snow was melting. I said, okay, let me bring a bucket. I brought a bucket, and I put it there. I went to meditate. In the evening I came, I checked on it, it was full. I say, yes, that works, but no. From, this is not my experience. I have so many drops going outside. <laughs> <laughs> Old, maybe 
Most of them go outside. <laughs> and I mean, I was in a monastery, by the way. <laughs> Not in a regular lay life, but in a monastery, I saw many drops were going outside, you know. I said, I have to do another experiment. That experiment is not now a bucket. I went and put a small bottle. Hmm? There's no bottle here. I put a small bottle under the, the, the eave, the shed, and then I observed, before I left for meditation, nine drops were going outside the bottle. Almost nine. And only one was entering. I said, yes, this is the experiment I want to do. Because that's exactly my life. <laughs> Many drops of... <laughs> They're really falling apart, you know, going there and there, one day not mindful. And you're a monk, you know, it's terrible, you know. <laughs> you know the difference between lay people and monks, nuns and all that? You know the difference? The practice is the same, but there's a difference that for us we cannot give an excuse that we cannot practice. That's the only difference. We can't say, oh, because I was very busy, I was, oh, I don't have time. <laughs> You give that to a person and you believe you? No way. So, uh, here I am in a monastery. I see many drops falling here and there, just like on a retreat. Have you had that experience where, where uh, did you have that experience on a retreat whereby many drops are falling there, over there? <laughs> Maybe not. Is that something you have experienced? So now, I say, the boat is going to be there. I meditated and I said, I'm ready to go home to my kuti, small place where monks stay, we call kutis. And I went in the evening, flashlight. The bottle was full. I said, yes, it works. That means in my life, I'm not getting uptight about the practice. If I can put in one drop and another drop, another drop with patience, the, bo- the, the bucket will be full. In, like, in this case, the bottle will be full. So I hope that inspires you. <laughs> so that you have at least one drop. You can count on the drops. You may not see them, but they are there, my friends. Mm, we see. You come to us our interview. You just believe that all drops have gone outside and nothing inside is empty. Full of air. <laughs> there are some drops. We teach, actually, we see those drops. Mm. But sometimes we, like, I remember my teacher, you know, when I was meditating in California, every time I, was, I would report, he would just say, try hard, try hard, try hard. I said, what, what do you mean? I didn't, I, I didn't say that, but. <laughs> so I had to stretch my breathing and breathe in and breathe out. And my stomach was very painful because <laughs> rise and fall ab- abdomen. I wanted to, to report to him. Eh? what exactly goes on all the way when I stretch my abdomen. It was so tiring. I think what he was doing was encouraging me that, yes, you have have drops, but keep going. Keep going. Keep going. That's what I'm telling you. Keep going. Keep going. Those people who have checked out, all those group categories, please keep going. Don't lift off. I've written a book drop by drop. Actually, when I went to Chile to teach Chile, uh, Chile, South America, they, they got to see my book and they translated it into Gota Agota. I think uh, Rebecca will tell us whether that's a nice title. Gota Agota. And when I was teaching Brazil, again they say Gota Agota. I say, what's the difference? This is Brazil and this is Chile. So that book is there. It was answering the question for people who are so much worried that the practice is going to be left in a, in a dumpster here. No, you have the drops. The drops are with you now. But of course, the fish is the last thing to know that's wet, you know? So I don't know. <laughs> so maybe that's not what you're going to believe, that you have drops. But anyway, I'm putting it out there. Whether you know it or not, the drops are there. So we go to... I think those who are still hanging in there, remember this. This. You should meditate like chickens, actually. <laughs> Honestly, I, feel, I believe that we should all meditate like chickens. Hmm? 
I don't know about uh, chickens in America, but I saw roosters in, a, in Hawaii. I was teaching there, but I didn't see them hatching. But in Africa, hens, when they hatch eggs, they have intention to go to the eggs. They keep on going, keep on going. <laughs> Actually, that's what we do. We keep on coming to the cushion. And all. So they keep on going to their eggs, and then they have effort. They sit on them. They sit, they sit. After, I don't remember the time. It's amazing how the chicks knock themselves out of the egg. Mother ant doesn't poke the eggs and cut them open. It's the chicks that... For me, what does that mean in terms of our practice? We need to arouse our wholesome intentions. We keep doing that. That's within our control. We need to arouse our skillful energy. Somebody talked about energy sometime. I think all of these things we've been talking about, we talked about all this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So we need those two things is under our control, intentions and the effort. But the results is outside our control. I think Brian is the one who talked about plants, you know, you can't stretch them. So really, actually, uh, the results of our practice is outside our control. But it's there. It, it, it has to manifest because the conditions are there. The right conditions are there, the intention and the effort. That's what I've seen in mother chicken and mother hen. They keep on just sit on eggs and for me I look at them. They just open themselves. So our practice will open our, itself like a lotus flower, you know, and open when the conditions are there. And those conditions, you are putting them already there, intention and effort. Then it's time to go to write Noble Eight for Path as a benchmark of what we've been doing. I know... The noble eight five eight four path. I want to see the noble eight four path. Ah, the noble eight four path is what we've been practicing here. Actually, the noble eight four path. It's the same as the four noble truth, and the same as the four foundation of mindfulness. All those teachings are the same, actually. Yeah. So don't get so worried that and now the eight is coming and all that. No, no, no. It's just if you practice one or or the other, you just keep on sliding into the other. You practice number eight for path, you go to the phone number truth. You go to the phone number truth, you practice. So you just keep on going like that. So now, uh, for me, I just look at the number eight for path. Of course, you know the standard path factors, like right view. We have already, uh, Tuel talked about right view already. And uh, uh, really, that's what we've been practicing here. That's a drop. You can count on that drop. You have the right view. Many people have wrong views, but you have the right view. That this is wholesome, this is unwholesome, and this is the root for unwholesome, and this is the uh, root for wholesome. Again, I'm not going to say raise your hand, those who, are don't have, who have wrong view, but I just count on that all of you. Uh, you have a right view of the affordable truth, suffering its cause and end, and the, the path that leads to end, and you know, love karma. So you have that one. Can we count our blessing? Yes, you mark that. But right view comes with something that I want to share with you. That part of right view is actually knowing anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, impersonal, and uh, insecurity. Mm? The triple I. Triple I. Mm? So impermanence, insecurity, and the impersonal nature of things. Actually, when you look at it, even if you have known, forgotten Twelve's talk on right view, when you look at it, there's nobody who actually has been meditating all this time has missed this insight into impermanence. And what's that insight? The mind wanders. 
even if you think you're a bad yogi, I'm telling you, eh? you know good yogi, bad yogi thing, you know? If you think you're a bad yogi, eh? you cannot miss this insight that the mind wanders. How can you miss that? <laughs> Yet there's another insight that of anatta. You have no control. Who has been controlling their mind that doesn't wander? And it obeyed. Yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> Who has a, a very obedient mind, in other words? Let's put it this way. Hmm? The mind has been obeying all your instructions. Seat, yes. No thoughts, yes, no thoughts. No checking, <laughs> no lifting. Actually, I want to see that hero, superhero, you know. So that an insight into another. So right view, let us mark it. You know? That's a benchmark. We got to write intentions, write thoughts. You've been practicing this, I don't know how long. We've been like afternoon, we come here for Modita, hmm? some beautiful talk about Modita. That's thoughts. Uh, meta, even we talked about, it's better with Meta. Rebecca talked about all these uh, uh, states of mind, hmm? mm-hmm. uh, greed type. Hmm? <laughs> so we know already, we are not the same. As we came, we mark that. Another drop. Speech. Speech, actually, we've been not talking. That's already marked already. <laughs> we've been listening. <laughs> That's a, a, a wonderful drop, actually, because it's there. In fact, for me, speech in daily life, I mean, it just brings a lot of worry and remorse. Did I talk this one? What did they talk about it? So there's a lot of remorse and guilt in our speech, you know. But we've been here, sealed from all that remorse and guilt because we've been quiet. Listening. Listening and listening. So this is really something, a wonderful thing we've been doing here. As we talk about speech, there's a way I put it, the, 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 the ability to tell a lie is a liability, playing with words. <laughs> so we don't have liabilities here, you know? We've been quiet, <laughs> listening all the time. <laughs> Abstain from killing, stealing, and uh, sexual misconduct, we mark that one. I don't even have to talk about it. We go to that's uh, livelihood. That's, we are on the fifth part of the Nobel for Path. You remember I told you about Visa? Visa, uh, Visa MasterCard and uh, huh? American Express? Now with, uh, we are with American Express, Express now. Huh? Livelihood or alimentation is. So now when you look at livelihood, we've been self-employed on a cushion, actually. <laughs> really, with a minimum wage of duka. <laughs> and employment opportunities, equal employment opportunities. That's trans- wonderful transformation. Eh? Who didn't have Duca? <laughs> Livelihood. Minimum wage. We keep on going. Effort. Effort. We all had effort in this program. If you didn't have effort, you, you would not even come here, actually. People who don't have effort, <laughs> they are not here. <laughs> you people, you have effort. Simply because you are here, you had effort already. That aspiration, the effort to overcome unskillful effort to 
to prevent. Already 12 talked about effort. I don't have to go through the traditional list. I just want to interpret it to, in our use and their life. Because you know already the list, you know. You know the list of the Nobel for Pan. And already some of us who have been talking about it in one fashion or, or the other, uh, one way or the other. So we've been having all efforts. Mark that. Mindfulness. Actually, what's very interesting, ever since I started teaching, most of the people always, when they come to my practice meeting, is already, they are just complaining not having enough mindfulness. Nobody has ever come to me, oh, but I don't have right view. <laughs> oh, but I don't have right speech. That, but that's a path of transformation. That's path of transformation. Nobody has ever come to me, you know, Bante, ah, you know, ah, I don't know. I don't have right thoughts. They just told me two things. My concentration is not good. It's low. Okay, let's go to mindfulness. You see, we, mindfulness really is something that has been coming and going. But that's the nature of things. And maybe you had an expectation you're going to practice mindfulness and just put in a pocket here and stay there, and then you say, hey, I have mindfulness here. <laughs> is that what your expectations? That, okay, now this mindfulness is here. No. These are things that keep on coming and going. That's their nature. We just, you can just influence them. I think I borrowed this word from Brian. We can influence these things, you know? It's not going to be 10 kilos of kilograms of mindfulness, and then you feel satisfied with this retreat that you have mindfulness. It's just keep on going. The key is to keep on that momentum and just close it so that you are not spaced out, become a space cadet, you know, for the whole day now. That's, I would think about something like an entire day. No? But if just moments of 10 minutes, 10 minutes no mindfulness, what's a big deal? After all, you have already the rest. Hmm? We've talked about eight, number eight for path, so you have almost six out of eight under your belt. So it's only mindfulness. And it has been there, but sometimes you are not satisfied with it. That's the nature of beings. We are not satisfied. And that's why we have the, the, uh, the, the, these things, the practice to really look at uh, uh, our life like this. And the concentration is a product of the practice, actually. But it also it has been there on, in one form or fashion. That has been our transformation here. And nobody is going to take it from you. Nobody is going to rob you this. From, nobody's going to rob you from what you've got here. Because I remember for me, the retreats I did, it's something that came to me at some point and said, no, I remember this. And I would do something, including becoming a monk. It was something I remembered in the Dharma. Something I had remembered after practicing for three months, and I remembered one Dhamma verse and, and make my decision to become a monk. So these things we are doing, actually, you mean, don't downplay what you've been doing here, actually. It has transformed you in a way beyond what even you think. The noble eight for path. It's very, very important because that's what the Buddha uh, began teaching. Yes, that's how, uh, that's the, the first discourse the Buddha taught. But there's one venerable called Kondanya. Venerable Kondanya. <laughs> I'm going to read. This is so beautiful. Then the blessed one. This was the, the end of the discourse. So beautiful. This is how it ended. This is where the people, five people attain enlightenment. He said, then the blessed one 
exclaim, this is the Buddha exclaiming. So you really know Kondanya? Question mark. So you really know? Question mark. And what is, uh, and that is how Venerable Kondanya acquired the name Anya Kondanya, which means Kondanya who knows. What this person know is that what is of the nature of arising has the nature of passing away. It's amazing that somebody was being, to, uh, uh, somebody was uh, giving a talk on the Noble Eightfold Path, and he, he gleaned, gleaned some information, got something, and really got enlightened. And this was a dependent origination in a short. So beautiful. So when I read this message, Buddha himself really saying that, wow, you are the one who knows. So we are the one who knows. Now Buddha is talking to us. The noble eightfold path is with us. It's not outside in the paper. In the morning I'm going to say, burn the post, the noble eightfold path. It's in the body. It's in your body. Not so. <laughs> if not so today, I'm going to inject the dam into your body. There's a discourse. I'm going to take that liberty to inject it in the body now. This is a discourse you love. I don't have time, but we'll see. There's a discourse that inspired me a lot on this practice. Uh, this discourse, this is my last talk, you know, I have to <laughs> give bonuses, this and that. <laughs> Meander a little bit and all this come back and anyway, I hope you don't mind. So there's a discourse that I would like to live with you. Hmm? I like to live with you. It's in a Kanda Sanyota in Nikaya called Connected Discourses. It's called the Seven Cases. The Seven Cases. Because its length, I'm just going to summarize it. Hmm? When I, the first time I read this discourse, I said, wow, this is the discourse. I'm going to mold my practice so that I, pra- I practice accordingly. At Savati, I'm going to summarize it. At Savati, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu who is skilled in seven cases and triple investigator, not private investigator, triple investigator is called in this dharma and discipline a consummate one. One who has fully lived the whole life, the holy life, the highest kind of person. What's that highest kind of person? When I read this one, I want to be the highest kind of person in this dharma. And here the Buddha said this, this is a consummate one, an accomplished one. Somebody who is accomplished. You will be surprised that those t- seven cases is what we've been talking about. And I will give you a guided meditation and think about it. Mm-hmm. One of them is, we are going to go one by one. Mm-hmm. The first one is to understand the five aggregates. Have you heard about five aggregates? <laughs> you understand the five aggregates? How they arise, how they disease, and the path that leads to their seizing. Four. I think our meditation has been all around that. Hmm? Those are four cases. We go to the third cases. The fifth case is knowing, again, the five aggregates, gratification. That means the pleasure and joy in the five aggregates. I don't think that one, we need to teach you that. Do we? Do we need to teach you the joy and the pleasure of five aggregates? Do we? But that's because it's the Buddha who knows this very well. But he doesn't stop there. 
he goes to the next stage, which is the sixth one. is called the danger. Seeing the danger in the five aggregates. This danger is kind of seeing the impermanent nature of these aggregates. The unsatisfactory nature. The out-of-control nature of five aggregates. You know, we have all these five aggregates. They keep on rebelling. However much cream we put on on our body, however much we say, okay, let me be younger, they just keep on rebelling. However much you eat good food, brown rice, for good health. Actually, today I saw white rice. I said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I meditated with it. <laughs> Actually, the reason why I want quite pass brown rice is actually not so much uh, because I heard that it's healthy and I want to be healthy. That's it. Yeah, so long as there's some healthy stuff there, so I can eat it, no problem. The reason I really want to be healthy and why? So that I can attain enlightenment, so that I can spread Buddhism in Africa. That's it. So I want to eat good food. So anyway, but however much we eat good food, <laughs> Sometimes, still, our health go the other way around. And it just keep on dodging us, basically. So it's really ungovernable. So it's out of, out of control. I don't know whether this is news to you, but I think it's not. I don't think. This, another one, we have to go to the seventh case that we need to practice. Uh, is escape. Escape is the bliss of renunciation. We need to let go. Have you heard that story? Let it go. Uh, I think Dara gave a beautiful poem today. <laughs> it was such a beautiful poem, I said, I will bring the other one. You remember I told you that I'm, I'm going to bring you a, a quote by Ajahn Somet about letting go? I'm telling you, today I wanted to, to really look, uh, read it, for you, but I said this is too much. Um, and also, we could not print it. <laughs> I said, okay, let go. So I've already let go about the article on letting go already. <laughs> but out of compassion, I think I'll, uh, my copy, I will print it out. I'll, I'll post it. It's so beautiful. But anyway, that already uh, pointed the point. I mean, you gave such a beautiful poem about escape, letting go. So those are seven cases. We've been practicing that. Are we, have we not transformed? Because here the Buddha, is the Buddha now talking about this is a, a way how to be accomplished. Triple investigator. <laughs> you know investigators? Yeah, so it's called private investigators. It's amazing how the Buddha didn't use the word private investigators. He said triple investigator. How is that triple? You investigate, the first investigation is you investigate in terms of four elements. Have you heard about four elements? I think so. Then the second kind of investigation is you investigate according to the six senses. I gave that talk. <laughs> the last one. You see, you people, you teach monas to people, I tell them to guess. Uh, but anyway, I have no joy to <laughs> interact. My talk stories are interactive, you know, with the yogis in Uganda, you know. I just say something and they say, okay, I throw it for them and to them and see, juggle their mind, you know. The fourth investigation is called dependent origination. Have you heard about this? We talked about it, I talked about it, everybody has been talking about it. There are 10 points, and if you are doing those 10 points, according to the Buddha, this is according to the Buddha, according to the Buddha, I'm go and how bhikkhus is a bhikkhu is a triple investigator. Here bhikkhus, a bhikkhu investigates by way of the elements, by way of six senses, sense bases, and by way of dependent origination. You remember Kondanya? 
whatever the nature of arises. So that's the thing Buddha was talking about. It is such a uh, it is in a, such a way that a bhikkhu is called a triple investigator because a bhikkhu who is skilled in these seven cases and in a triple investigator is called in this dharma and discipline a consummate one, accomplished one, one who fully lived the holy life, the highest kind of person. Well, I don't know whether you're doing all these ten, but well, whatever you've done, you're on a path, and you have accomplished something. Well, I think this is enough. <laughs> Let's meditate. <laughs> Let's inject these things in your body now. Let us sit. We have five minutes, but we may go overboard. Like I don't care. Two minutes, three minutes. Sit, please. Okay. Sit comfortably, feel at ease. This, I call it to make the Dharma bioavailable. Hmm? Before it was just putting externally, before the tablet, and now injection, and I want to put it under your tongue, but no, under your nose now, all right? I want to put the Dharma under your nose now. Let us use the breath. Take a deep breath. Let it go of the past. Deep breath that we did with the uh, Dara you know, in the morning. Breathe in. Give me that deep breath. And breathe out. Another one. Another one with the sound. Now it's the, now time to look at the ten points now. Okay. As you breathe in, I like it. You, you focus your your mind at the nostrils, and each breath that comes in is the five aggregates, whether you like or not, because the breath has four elements. Air is element, so you can feel the movement of the air. Sometimes the breath is warm, sometimes cool. That's fire element. Sometimes the softness of the breath. That softness, that's actually earth element. Water element, sometimes you feel as moist as you breathe in. That's the form part of the five aggregates. Then as you breathe in out... Sometimes you have a neutral feeling. It's neither pleasant or unpleasant. That's called neutral. So just be aware of that feeling of neutral feeling. Then we go to the perception. Perception, as you breathe in, be aware of the long breath. Sometimes it's shorter. Breathing in, short. Breathing in, long breath. You know that's a long breath. And uh, sometimes you can know the beginning of in-breath and the end of it. So uh, the in-between is the middle. And sometimes also there's a pause. But whatever it is there is called perception. You perceive the breath, the breath as long and short. We go to the, 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 the fourth aggregate is called Sankara aggregate. Mindfulness itself that is doing the job is actually part of the fourth aggregate, the intention to breathe in, even the attention. So, but let us take mindfulness. So see if you can fully be mindful of the breath. Remember to be present with the breath as it comes in. The Buddha was saying, put your mind in front. That means put your mindfulness in front. And then the awareness of the breath is the six aggregates. See if you can see the difference between being aware of the breath and being and feeling the breath. This is a difference. Awareness of the breath and feeling the breath. 
So this arising origin of the breath, you can see it. The passing out of the breath, you can see it. And the path that leads to the, or- the end of this, the cessation. That's the noble eight for path. And mindfulness is part of it. And the mindfulness doesn't come alone. It comes with the effort and understanding. So I'll finish the four parts. Gratitudes, I mean gratification, you don't have to worry about gratification of the breath. See the, the, the danger. The danger is that breathing in, breathing out, it's impermanent. And also it is unsatisfactory. You know? Actually, it also comes up with a little bit of anxiety, which is dukkha, dukkha, dukkha. But also there's what called sankara dukkha because suffering due to conditioned existence, you know, formations. And escape is letting go. Every time we are breathing, we are letting go. Small letting go. So we finished seven parts already. Then in terms of the three investigation, uh, investigated in based on elements, the breath I told you is four elements right there, so you don't have to worry about it. Then six senses. Actually, the breath is one of the senses, is touching. It's called body and the tactile. tactile. So the, the, the breath touches the nostrils, and that's these touching sensations. As you breathe in and breathe out, the breath touches the nostril. So that's called touching. So according to the six senses, so this is actually... Uh, Touching is enough, just awareness of touching, touching, touching as you breathe in and out. Then dependent origination, of course I gave you the simplest one. When the breath comes in, that's body, affects the body, the abdomen rises. So be aware when the abdomen rises. Sometimes mind affects mind. This, the anxiety sometimes it turns into uh, changes, and then sometimes it comes into gladness, and then uh, happiness. So anyway, you remember my talk on the four uh, four parts of dependent origination. It's already in the breath, inbuilt in the breath. Mind affects mind, body affects body, mind affects mind. Um, body, all of them are there, but you don't have to go through all of them. One is enough. You see how one thing rises, and it leads to another rising. Now you can open your eyes. That's it. You have it. Ten points. Some people breathe in, breathe out. I told them, you are not balloons putting the air and the air out in the body. Ten points. Thank you for that. <laughs> May you be well up and peaceful. May you continue to practice the Dharma, which is here and now. It's visible here and now. That's what the Buddha said. The Dharma is visible here and now, not visible tomorrow. Thank you very much. I wish you can go with this message. The Dharma is visible here and now. If there's enlightenment to happen, is now. The next time enlightenment to happen is now. The next best time to happen is now. No pressure, though. <laughs> I don't want you to get worked up. <laughs> Enough today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.